One has a face for radio and the other has a voice for print. Today, P.F. and Parker from the Blue State Conservative talk the opening day of CPAC, California's push to eliminate sex differences in the private market, and other countries' leaders like to murder journalists. Welcome to Deducing for Deplorables. Greetings and welcome to the latest episode of Deducing for Deplorables. I am Parker Boerberg, joined as always by P.F. Whalen. And PF, the mailbag has been quite a hit so far. Readers at our site at thebluestateconservative.com and listeners to our podcast seem to enjoy asking us questions, and they do ask us some good ones. What do we have today? All right. Hello, Parker. We have uh, from Carlos. Carlos writes to us, are you ready to compete with the Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama podcast? So the short answer is absolutely, Carlos. We are absolutely ready. Um, It's funny. I I saw this uh, the other day. Parker, that uh, Springsteen and Obama were going to do this. And uh, the first thing that struck me was how many how many listeners are they going to get? I mean, you have one of the most famous um, one of the most famous people in the world in Barack Obama and arguably the most famous uh, artist in Bruce Springsteen. So uh, I'm sure they're getting millions and millions. But uh, absolutely, we're, we're ready Carlos, to do this, to, to make this happen. And in fact, uh, I know both uh, Springsteen and Obama listen to us. So Bruce, Barack, Mr. President, um, anytime you guys want to come on and debate with me and Parker, we're ready for you. What do you think, Parker? It's a standing invitation. You know what? And I think if they would invite us on their show, too, that might boost our own audience count a little <laughs> bit. But, you know, you have the advantage of reading the question ahead of time and choosing among all the questions we get to. So I'm hearing this on the first spot. And my initial reaction is this sounds like a horrible program. And I'll tell you why, because Obama and Bruce, they're interchangeable with the the people in my work, the people at your work, the people next door to my house. They all believe and think the same thing. I don't care what two leftists you put in the room. The only reason it's going to be Obama and Springsteen is because with leftism, it's always who's the most articulate of the vision that rises to the top. There's no such thing anymore as meritocracy on the left. There's no such thing as they don't even want a meritocracy. But President Obama became president because of his skin color, yes, but because of his articulation of leftist ideas. Um, so he has nothing to add. He's a completely hollow individual. I don't know if he's ever analyzed the situation accurately in his life. He is a politician through and through, but more than that, he's a leftist through and through. So Interesting question, Carlos. Keep the questions coming, but uh, no, I'm not ready to to listen to it. But yes, I am ready to compete. I think we have a lot better ideas to offer over here. And so let's share some of those ideas. P.F., I'm going to start with an article that's out of Breitbart today. This is CPAC kicking off, and it's always interesting to hear about CPAC. Um, I don't think it gets normally a lot of coverage in the press for rightful reasons. So it caught me off guard. I forgot that CPAC was occurring this week, and we have some speakers coming on stage. Some people were left out. Uh, MGT, one of them that I know riled up the very, very Trump base, but I'm okay with that. I can live with her not getting the the, st- the stands. But Governor DeSantis led off the event here, and he spoke about freedom. He's, he mentioned Rush, which was always a great thing to call back. And I do like that Ron ordered the flags at half-mass for Rush. So DeSantis really knows what he's doing. It's a good memorandum for, for some American heroes, but it's also a very savvy political move. I think each maneuver he's making here, I really think DeSantis is setting up a presidential run here for 2024. But some of the things he highlighted, he said, we have an oasis of freedom in a nation that's suffering in many parts of the country under the yoke of oppressive lockdowns. And and that is 100 percent accurate. And all isn't it amazing that now we're we're celebrating someone that just values freedom as much as we do. This should this should be just a given in this country. This should have been the starting point for all responses related to COVID. This should really be the starting point for all things related to political policymaking out of Washington, D.C., as an oasis of freedom. Let the American people do what the American people want to do. And there's a lot of things that he covered about big tech and 
voting. The only other thing I want to cover with this, and I'll kick it off to you, is the COVID response, because the media has been hammering DeSantis for a year now about how incompetent he is, how many people he's killing, and then contrast that to then the Andrew Cuomo coverage. And so while Cuomo, and we've, we've really beaten this one to a pulp here, but again, the Emmy, the book deal, the nightly news broadcast with Little Brother. Meanwhile, DeSantis is portrayed as just some buffoon out in Florida, you know, that typical suntan, beach bum kind of guy. How is he leaving the state? Um, I just want to give you some numbers here for COVID, just for a little perspective. Again, I don't know if everyone sees this, but Florida's population is almost 2 million. It's 1.9. New York's is 1.7. So I think we're kind of comparable there. Seniors, 19% of Florida's population is over 65. New York's is 15% is over 65. So we're getting, again, we should expect many seniors to be dying from COVID. This is what they've been telling us. This is who it seems to be affecting. Florida had 31,000 deaths and New York had 48,000 deaths. That's a big difference. That's over 50% more in New York. And then the deaths per million, which is really the only accurate way to compare this because every state has a different population. The deaths per million, New York is number two in the country at two and a half thousand deaths per million. Florida is all the way down the list at 28 with one point or 1,400 deaths per million. You can't claim anything else about DeSantis without mentioning Cuomo. And I think, again, this is just one more example of how the media has been lying. And I think it really proves the point. The louder that the left gets with someone, the more concerned that they are losing the narrative. They had to paint DeSantis so broadly with that brush about incompetence because deep down they fear him. And so anytime they attack someone, that makes me like them more. It makes me think something's going well. I'm not going to hear about it because of the mainstream coverage. But it gives me hope that DeSantis is really off to some great things. He made some great points at his kickoff speech. So um, good things happening from CPAC and Ron DeSantis. Yeah, absolutely. I I think um, at this point, we did a piece on it a couple weeks ago where uh, we were kind of handicapping who we thought would be the rising stars in the Republican Party. Um, And based on that speech yesterday uh, and just based on other happenings that have uh, had, have occurred here in the last few weeks, I, I would have to put now, if I had a bet, I would probably put Ron DeSantis at the front of the line. He's absolutely a rising star. And it, it's it's uh, the aspect of freedom that you talked about, that he talked about, that I think sets him apart from some of the others. And he really is just a courageous guy. It's easy to forget now, almost a year after it kicked off. But um, he stuck to his principles, which is what got him the results that he got. And that was not easy. Uh, back in March, late March of last year, early April, nobody knew. Nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew what the right thing to do was. Uh, you had you know, basically the left running around with their hair on fire, blaming everything on President Trump. And then you had DeSantis saying, well, I don't think, basically saying, I don't think Lockdowns are the answer. I don't think it's the right approach. We couldn't even agree on what we needed to do with masks. And DeSantis stuck by his guns, said, I'm not going to shut down my economy. I'm not going to destroy my state. And it worked. And it worked. And it's the the fact that he stuck by his guns under such immense pressure from the left and the media really speaks to his character. The guy really is something else. And he's got an extremely bright future. So... All right, Parker, thanks. Let's go to topic number two. <clears throat> this comes to us from Reason.com. And you know, I'm just going to read the headline, which is, uh, uh, quote, California bill would give $1,000 fines to retailers with separate girls and boys toy sections. So in other words, if you go in <clears throat> and you have, you know, pink packaged, you know, Hello Kitty and 
um, strawberry shortcake stuff, you know, in one section, and then you have the other boy toys in, in, in another section, you can get fined for that. And there's a lot of ways we can come at this. <clears throat> um, I mean, certainly we could we could probably spend three or four podcasts just talking about the transgender debate and some of the ridiculousness of it. We could also just talk about the ridiculousness of California itself and how messed up it is. But Parker, I just wanted to talk uh, just briefly here about the government overreach aspect. So the most fundamental difference is the way I see it. There, there's two uh, between liberals and, and, and conservatives. The, the first, I think, is is personal responsibility, right? The left tends to look at no one is responsible for their own actions and we're all, you know, it takes a village, the whole bit. Um, whereas conservatives believe fundamentally in personal responsibility. But the other major aspect of it is what is the role of government? And I think it's hard to argue if you look at this, that the government should be playing any role in this whatsoever. I mean, again, what they're saying is if you were to if you were to separate boys toys from girls toys in a toy store, you can get fined up to a thousand dollars. That is not government's role. That is not their responsibility. Government is not the answer to all of our problems. And in this situation, the government of California is trying to get involved in a problem that essentially doesn't even exist. The amount of the, the percentage of transgender uh, people, let alone children that we have, is minuscule. And this is their solution to a problem that really isn't even there. So um, I, I would expect at some point that this is probably going to end up in the court system out in California. Um, probably trickle its way up. But to me, it, it, I can't imagine this is going to stand, not not being a lawyer. Uh, obviously, I don't know all the nuances of it, but um, I can't imagine that any government, state, local, federal, would be able to um, inject themselves into this type of marketing strategy by any type of retailer. But I, I think it just demonstrates overall the attitude of the left's um, opinion of government and then to the right. I mean, this is just outrageous and people need to speak up in California. You cannot accept this. And PF, I've really been noodling about a good analogy for this piece here. So it, this is going to go, I'm, I admit it, friend, I'm going out on a limb with this, but if you think back to the abortion debate, how it's framed around my body, my choice, uh, bear with me here. So I'm going to set this up, speak euphemistically about the term box as it applies to women. There's a, a colloquialism or a a, a grosser, nicer way to describe part of the female anatomy with the word box. And then I think about these big box retailers. So bear with me here. But, you know, if my box, my choice applies to the abortion debate, why does my big box, my choice not apply to the private business sector as well? So that's the best I got for my analogy as far as this goes. But I think that logic applies pretty well here. So you're absolutely right. How is the government getting involved in the free market? How is it I mean, we know how it is, but that seems like a pretty basic starting point to say, let the store sell what they want to sell and let the consumer decide if they're going to either go there and purchase those products, or maybe they just want to wander the, the aisles until they find the perfect toy for their boy, since they, they can't figure it out amongst the sea of, of non-binary, gender neutral, I don't know, green toys now. I don't know what color they're going to settle on at this point. Yeah, that was a great article, PF. Thanks for bringing that to our attention. I do have some good news coming out of the tech side of the tech side of things. Musk's Starlink is the biggest tech game changer in history and is going to kill the cable industry. That's the headline coming out of conservative hardliner. And they produce some really good stuff over there. I know I frequent the website. Um, they've been sharing some of our articles recently as well. So I admit my ignorance when it comes to Starlink. There is so much happening with Elon Musk between 
Tesla and Neuralink and the Boring Project. I don't know where he finds time to do all this. I don't know. I'm still on the fence. I don't know if Elon Musk is truly that big of a genius or is he smart enough that he gets the people around him to, to drive some of these ideas. Either way, there's a lot of exciting things happening with Elon Musk. And Starlink sounds like a really cool one here. So let me just read the intro of this article to kind of set things up for you. So it's a new telecommunications company that's going to use satellites to provide Internet access to the planet. Uh, but it's nothing like DirecTV and other satellite providers. So here we have a system of, I don't know how many satellites, I presumably hundreds, thousands of satellites circling the Earth, all connected and all providing instant Internet access to anyone in the world. Um, and so he uses this example of a buddy that's rural on mountains. There's going to be no fiber optic cables coming to this guy anytime soon. Doesn't even get cell reception with the towers and the satellites in place. But Elon Musk has, and again, you wonder, like, how did this not get figured out sooner? But Elon Musk figured out a way to get these satellites up there, beam internet access to this guy at speeds that are crazy fast. And so where I'm at with my fiber optics, and they advertise up to 100 megabytes per second, Elon's going to double, triple. He's shooting for the range of 300, maybe getting up to 500. And then who knows how fast he can eventually make this with really low latency rates. So this is a really exciting prospect. And based on Elon's history, this guy seems to be on the side of I think a little more freedom, a little more libertarian, doesn't want government involved. I see this as a huge potential to get big tech out of my computer, out of my phone, out of my internet. I already use a VPN. Uh, and this this seems like a way that's going to give a little privacy and security back to the little guy here if government's able to keep their hands out of the cookie jar, so to speak. But really exciting stuff to see where it's going to come with internet. And then we can all cut our cable cords a little bit more here. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, the first I heard of this was a couple of years ago, and he was framing it in the context of the third world, right? Giving the third world access to Internet. Um, in fact, he, he was criticized at the time. Oh, you're going to give them access to the Internet. They don't even have laptops. They don't even have devices. Right. And he said, you know, that that'll follow. So he, he really is quite a visionary, Elon Musk. And um, I mean, this is the type of guy that we have a piece coming up in the next few days from our friend over at Gen Z Conservative on Elon. And there's a lot of things you could say about him. Um, I don't know that I would label him necessarily as a conservative. I, I think you use the right word. He's probably more libertarian than anything. But the most, the, the most accurate and probably the best thing we can say about him is he's a capitalist. So he does believe in capitalism. He believes in limited government. Um, and you know, we we're just talking about government overreach. I think it's pretty clear he's opposed to that. And I do think it's pretty clear that just his whole approach speaks to what can happen in the free market. Government doesn't do this type of thing. This doesn't come from government. This comes from free market. This comes from innovation. This comes from entrepreneurs. And that certainly is Elon Musk. So bravo, Elon. Way to go. All right, Parker. And then the final topic for today is uh, comes to us from Politico. <clears throat> And this is regarding the minimum wage. So uh, Democrats, the Democrats, $15 minimum wage increase is not going to survive the Senate and they don't have a plan B yet. Uh, the Senate parliamentarians decision to rule the wage hike out of order ahead of the debate on President Biden's coronavirus relief plan saves Democrats from an internal fight over whether to increase it to $15 an hour. So this was kind of uh, predicted by a lot of folks, including Biden. Biden himself didn't think it'd get past the parliamentarian. Uh, I mean, essentially, in order for it to uh, get past the parliamentarian, it would have had to have been uh, deemed as having something to do with the federal budget, which clearly it does not, uh, which means that uh, it was not going to be um, 
able to be included in the bu budget uh, uh, reconciliation. So it's going to have to go through the filibuster and it's not going to make it through. There's no way. In fact, it was debatable whether or not, um, you know, how, how far it would get anyway. But um, I think it's a good thing, obviously, that, you know, we had a piece earlier uh, in the week uh, on the Blue State Conservative about the minimum wage. And the $15 an hour minimum wage, I mean, it's, you know, they, they call it a living wage. I don't even think $15 necessarily, depending upon where you live, is is uh, is an answer, is a solution for the minimum wage. I don't think that's necessarily a living wage. The main, the main message people should take is that if you're working for the minimum wage, there's probably an issue with your skill set, right? So, uh, Parker, I'm sure both of us over the years, we've worked for at minimum wage jobs. And the whole idea was as we were working those minimum wage jobs was to get out of those jobs, right? So, I mean, I worked in a sandwich shop years ago when I was just a, a, a teenager. I was about 15. And I knew I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. For one, I didn't want to just make sandwiches. The other, I wanted to make more money. So what did I do? I went to I went to school you know, uh, went to went to a university, I got a college degree, and I, I tried to improve myself and improve my skill set to be able to provide value to customers, um, or uh, employers rather. So I, I think that's the message people should take. Again, I mean, we've talked a lot about government on today's podcast. I don't think government solution, particularly the federal government, when it comes to minimum wage with the disparity of, um, of costs of living around the country in different states. And Government should not be stepping in on this. I'm glad to see that this is not going to make it uh, make it through in the COVID relief bill, not to mention what the heck is it doing in COVID relief, right? Um, and then, you know, the obvious message is get yourself a skill set that you can market and you can make a living off. Yeah, a couple points on this. So that is good news. And I think we're going to start to see a wave of, if you want to call it, quote unquote, good news out of the Biden administration where the, the reach is too far and now either sanity prevails or logistics Hold, hold strong for that. So good to see that happening. We're going to talk about the Equality Act in our next podcast. And so something else to explore from the Biden administration. Just a couple points on that, though. The minimum wage, it's so arbitrary. Like, why $15? You wrote the article, why why not $150? At this point, they're just making up a number. I think Bernie Sanders always said 20. Again, what's the research? What's the support of that? Um, to your point about what does that actually mean, it's about $31,000 a year that you're offering in this situation. If it's a $15 an hour, 40-hour work week for 52 weeks, that's $31,000. That's nothing, nothing worth celebrating, but that should be the motivator. Yep, I started out at a minimum wage. I was probably below minimum wage uh, working in a tipped industry, and it gave me a great skill set. It made me more marketable. It taught me a lot of things about I, it was the first opportunity to get out of the home and get away from friends, right? So that's the real-world experience. So I did a lot of growing up in that in that position for a summer job, um, but I wanted out, and I always knew I didn't want to stay in that station. I said, I need to do more. I don't want to be the delivery guy. I want to be the owner of the pizza shop. Um, so there's a lot of value from there. And the other piece is just the geography. So speaking about being arbitrary, I don't know how it made sense for any Democrat, and they're going to keep parroting this, but if I work in rural Mississippi versus working in urban San Francisco, $15 an hour is about as common or about as necessary to have as a across the entire nation. Uh, I can't think of anything that would be more absurd. $15 an hour in rural Mississippi would bankrupt every business and it would also make the workers kings. If you make $15 in San Francisco, you're gonna end up being one of those needle injecting, urinating on the street bums because $31,000 a year in downtown San Francisco ain't gonna cut it. So let the market, let the geography, let the situation dictate what you make. And if you don't like it, do something about it. There you go.
All right. And based on feedback, PF, we have a new segment we're going to close with today. I call it Thank Goodness That I Live in America. Um, there's always news that comes up around the world, and it reminds me that for all the flaws and all of the challenges, and, and I hate having to preface it, America is the greatest country, but let's be real. There's always work to be done, and I think we all strive to make things better for everybody and make things better for our country, ourselves. I, if they're not striving, then what's the point at that point? We're never standing still. We have a follow-up about the story from a couple years ago. If you recall, U.S. well, he became U.S.-based. He was Middle Eastern, Saudi by descent, but Jamal Khashoggi, the journalist that got murdered, assassinated, if you will, um, it turns out that this was approved by the prince of Saudi Arabia himself, the son of the king, Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Here's the headline, approved the murder of exiled Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. It's an interesting development, only because I think back to how Trump said the press was the freedom of the people, and he got completely destroyed for that comment, said he was burning the Constitution in front of our eyes, uh, even suggesting that the media would dare not not tell truth. But here we are again, right? President Trump despised people like Jim Acosta. The Democrats despise everyone that works for Fox News. They probably despise us if they got wind of us. And then here you have Saudi prince murdering journalists that go against the narrative. Things are not working well in the media. There's, I don't know how anyone trusts the media at this point. We haven't reached a level, though, where we're going to murder people that say the wrong thing. Tucker Carlson says a lot of truths on Fox News, and people protest at his house, but that's a whole other step to get a government-sanctioned assassination of Tucker for calling out Democrat nonsense on a nightly on a nightly basis here. So thank goodness we live in America, where for all of our problems and all of our disagreements, and a lot of things have happened because of those disagreements, but this is a whole other level when the government starts coordinating assassinations of political targets and political rivals. God bless America. If you like what you heard, you made it this far in the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show so you can always check out more commentary and analysis in written form over at thebluestateconservative.com. Catch you next time.